You know, as I read this, a lot of interesting things happened in the course of the planting of the, the early church. And this is one of those uh, accounts that uh, I find fascinating. We're going to spend most of our time on application, but uh, try to get a picture of what's going on here. We're going to pick up with uh, verse 11, actually. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away uh, to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, this is a, a dramatic account, historic account. But help us not to get caught up in the drama of this but to see you in this, the empowered church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, will you teach us from this? Will you give us right response, right understanding, right application to this narrative and help us to grasp more of you and your ways, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I don't tend to watch movies over and over, but there is one movie that uh, I have seen a number of times uh, when it comes on uh, TV. I will 
usually watch it or parts of it again, and that's uh, The Patriot. And uh, in that uh, account, you've got Mel Gibson's character who uh, was based upon four Revolutionary War heroes, including Francis Marion, uh, the Swamp Fox um, that we would know from our history and in this area as well. Well, at, at one point in the movie, his character thinking back on something that had taken place in his life, an event, an awful event that haunted him, said this, I have long feared that my sins would return to visit me. The cost is more than I could bear. Have you ever wondered that yourself? Maybe some of you today have asked a similar question. Are there, are there things that are going to come back to haunt me or that are haunting me? Sins from the past that are there that in some way, in my heart of hearts, it feels like I've got to deal with them. And then his conclusion, and I don't think I can. I don't think I have the strength to deal with those. Now, it's a good story. I think it's a really good story. But is that good theology? Where does that fit in with with biblical theology of dealing with sin that is there or has been there, how does all this fit together? Should we fear, like Him, that our sins will return to visit us? Somehow in His heart of hearts, He felt like that was going to be the case. And in his heart of hearts, he felt like there was something he needed to do about it, but he also knew he couldn't. Well, in this passage, we get a glimpse, I believe, of theology, of uh, the way God works, particularly in the area of repentance. And let's see where it fits with what I've just presented to you. I want to give you a little background uh, because what we see in this passage, which was obvious in the very first uh, verse that I read, but just taking you back to uh, previous weeks when we were earlier in Acts 19, it says this, verse 6, it said, when Paul had laid his hands on them, 
the Holy Spirit came on them. They, they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And what we had seen is that the, the Holy Spirit in many and various ways was showing His great power and was pointing to the glory of Christ. Now, as we have talked about, when things are narratives, you don't pull theology just from there. You want to make sure that just because something happened here in that particular point of time, that doesn't mean that it's ever going to be repeated again. God might have been working one time in one way there. So we, we have that caution always before us, but there's no question that throughout this book, we are, are seeing again and again the power of the Spirit showing Himself in many and various ways. Then verse 11 and 12, it says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles, which by the way, I think that's the key way to look at it. These are extraordinary. These aren't your ordinary miracles. <laughs> These were extraordinary, uh, you know, maybe particularly one-time things. And of course, we've, we've seen that some have built whole, built whole ministries on uh, things like we read here in verse uh, 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away of the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. I would just simply say, don't buy that. If somebody wants to sell it to you, a handkerchief, an apron, anything like that, don't do it. That's not the ordinary way God works. He worked that way here. This is an account. It's not a story. But we don't see that even anywhere else in, in Scripture. I think that's why it's called extraordinary. And then verse 15, the evil spirit answered them, uh, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, who are you? So what we have here is uh, spiritual warfare going on. The demons recognize Jesus. They acknowledge him. They even acknowledge his servant Paul. And then verse 16 and 17. Uh, the man in whom uh, the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, you know what that means. He beat the tar out of them. That's what happened. <laughs> Overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You know they were beat up if they were willing to run away in that way. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, of course. That kind of word's going to get around, both Jews and Greeks. Fear fell upon them all. Now this is, this is key here. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So here's what's happening is you've got um, the people seeing the, the power of a demonic evil spirit, but instead of saying, whoa, we've got to give in to that spirit, the power of Christ is extolled. And they recognize it. And they recognize that's what we need that's who we need because they have seen the opposite and opposite effects. So it leads to drastic 
actions on their part. Look at what their reaction to witnessing the power and the glory of Christ is, and it is repentance. Repentance is experienced by them. Now, we teach here that worship is a, a, in the form of a dialogue with God. It begins, how do we begin our service? With a call to worship. And although one of us this morning, um, Mark read, one of us will read it, but it's not a call from us. That's a call from God. That's why we use the, the Scripture. So it begins, worship is initiated by God, and then there is a response on our part. It may be a reading, it may be a, a song, and then we hear from God His Word, and then we respond. And so worship is that dialogue. But the key, the key thing is that it's always initiated by God. We may think we're initiating worship, but biblical worship is always initiated by Him, and that's what we see here. And that is that uh, repentance was initiated by God, by them uh, seeing the power of God and then responding to that. And notice what happens. It wasn't to earn God's favor. They already had his favor. It was a response to what he had done first in their lives, then in their midst. And so after being confronted by his glory and his power, it moves them to action. They recognize the lordship of Christ, and the believers saw at that point, they finally recognized at God's initiation I can't keep one foot in the occult and the other foot in the family of God. How did they recognize that? Well, it was because they saw the power of God. Yeah, sure, they saw the demonic things going on, but they, they recognized that I can no longer do this, and it caused them to repent. Do you remember, and we visit this often, Isaiah's reaction when he, when he has an encounter with God. Remember, he has the big vision. He sees God. And what's his response? His response is, woe is me, for I have unclean lips and I'm among a people of unclean lips. And here he is, a prophet of God, with probably cleaner lips than anyone else around. But all he can see is his own need for repentance. And why? He explains why. He says, because I have seen the glory of the Lord of hosts. That's what happens when we have an encounter with the living God. Now, let's take a look in this passage and see how uh, this repentance shows itself. First of all, we see open confession. Verse 18 says, Also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging 
their practices. So it was, it was open. They didn't, uh, they didn't go in their closet and say, okay, God, i got to deal with this and, and so on. They were so repentant that they, they did it out publicly. They uh, divulged it to others. Of course, their sin was public as well. Remember that, and that's, that's you know, probably a good way to, to see how public a repentance ought to be according to the, how public uh, the sin was. But what, what happens here is that they openly confess. Now, look, don't worry. Application-wise, you who are in community groups, I'm not going to say, okay, here's what you got to do tonight. Is you got to go to your group and you got to, all of you confess your sins openly. That's not the application. I want to just state that because I didn't want to kill our groups here on the second week. All right? There is a place for that, but that's not necessarily the application here. And you know what? There is even the danger when, when it gets into public confession of people either in some perverse way enjoying hearing, you know, the sins of others, there being some kind of a vicarious pleasure, or even enjoying divulging their own. We don't want to get into that. That's, that's, not, that's not a healthy thing. That's not what was going on here. What was happening here is this repentance was so genuine and so deep that they didn't care who knew. And that's a sign of in-depth repentance. When it gets to the point where, you know what, I'm, I'm not even embarrassed about this. It's, it's, just, it's just the way it is. And I'm dealing with it. I've got to deal with it. Now, I want to give you also a caution against using confession like penance. Repentance is not the same as doing penance. Repentance is turning from our sin with a a grief and hatred over our sins. So we turn from it, and then we turn towards something else, and that is God when it's biblical repentance. And we turn toward Him with the endeavor, with the intent that we won't do that sin any longer. That's what real repentance is. Penance is somehow thinking that by doing something, I'm helping pay for this sin. You know, if I some people will, will confess out loud thinking that if I do that, it will be so embarrassing that I will suffer and that will help pay for the sin. I deserve, I deserve to suffer. Pour it on me, lay it on me. Well, that's not, that's not biblical repentance and that's not how God deals with sin. He poured it on another on the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's where He poured it. And so for us to imply that there is something that we do or can do that will add to what Christ has already done is offensive to the Father and to the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9 says, As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. 
For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. You see, he makes a, a distinction between a, I, I think it's a, typically between a, a penance kind of thing, or the, the other kind of worldly grief, I think, can be because, you know, I'm, I'm grieving over my sin because I got caught. And that's the danger. You know, that, that we mix that up somehow, that our real grief is because I, I've been caught at what I was doing, so... So, yeah, I'm sorry because of that, as opposed to godly grief that leads us into in-depth repentance. So we have grief and and confession. What else is involved in in this repentance that's taking place? And I think think these are good examples of of true repentance. Uh, Verse 19, turning from their sin, and the things associated with it. Look, look at the example here, verse 19. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Before the confession, <coughs> there was a sorrow for sin. And then it moved to action. Two things. It was public, and that repentance, that action, was at great cost to themselves. Now Luke, who is the the writer of Acts, puts the value of the objects at 50,000 pieces of silver. Some of your versions may say 50,000 drachmas, and a, a drachma was a day's wage. So what you're talking about is 50,000 days' wages, that's like whatever the amount of money would be for working like 190 years. It's a big amount of money. That's the point here. The exact amount is not the point. But you see, they were, they were so in repentance, they were so sorry for their sin that they weren't saying, man, it's going to cost a lot of money. I, I, I could maybe repent, you know, maybe... 10,000 drachmas, but I can't afford, you know, all my stuff in there. That wasn't it at all. They threw it in. They destroyed it. They said, I've got to get rid of this. And I'm convinced that was a sign of real repentance. Because they weren't, so to speak, counting the cost and finding it too high for them. They were so convicted of their sin. Now, should action always follow repentance? We will see later in Acts 26, verse 20, it says this. Declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Acts 26, 20. Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. 
You see? You see what's going on? Is that, that, that showed, that declared that it was real. It wasn't that this, these deeds were some kind of penance that bought them forgiveness, but it showed that their repentance was, was real and actual. It was evidence of it. Now, here's the result. And that is that after this repentance took place, the kingdom was advanced. God used a lot of things to advance his kingdom. Repentance was one of them. In verse 20, it says this, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. See, what happened is the, that unbelievers began to take notice. Next week in, in our passage, we are going to see a, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith. And what happened with, you know, in the, on, on the, um, in the wake of all that was going on here is that there was a, such a revival taking place that uh, they weren't making idols like they were. And it was hurting his business. They're in the, the business of others. And they, they began to notice that. That's how it was uh, impacting the society. He says that, you know, the, Paul's persuaded these people and turned a great many people away from, you know, what we are doing. So, so here's what takes place. When genuine repentance took place, the believers were freed up because they dealt with sin that was holding them back. First of all, here they had you know, one foot in, in the magic arts, the occult, another foot in following Jesus, and they said, we can no longer do that, but you can imagine how that must have been holding them back spiritually. You can't do both house divided. And so it freed them up to continue to grow and to, to be a witness. But what happened also was that unbelievers took notice of what was going on. You know, the, the way these believers are living, it's actually impacting our business now. They couldn't ignore it and they might not have liked it, but they could no longer say, well, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They <laughs> couldn't say that anymore. You know, before they could have. Oh, you know what? We got no problem with these Christians. They can, they can call themselves Christians, but they're still coming and, you know, they're, they're buying stuff from us for their magic arts, for their occultic practices and so on. I got no problem with Christians. Well, once it started impacting them, they started realizing, wow, this is... This is invading the lives of the believers. And at the very least, they couldn't call them hypocrites any longer. They saw that real Christ followers weren't those who were perfect, but, but who realize their own sin and then deal with it. That don't just ignore it, they, they deal with it. And you know, I, I have to think in our world that... Our world is just craving the ability to see people who aren't saying, we're so good, but who are saying, look, we know. 
you know, sometimes we don't even have the words to say when we pray. When I'm weak, He's strong. In other words, the, the honesty of saying this is who we are, but thank God we've got a way to deal with it. And that's what makes the difference. So what's our response in this? Well, the most obvious is if you're in Christ, what do I have in my life I need to repent of? We should be asking that question. Not, not just today. That's not just for today. If you're in Christ, then you have seen His glory and you must respond. And if you're sitting here and saying, well, I'm in Christ, but I'm not inclined to really repent, then my question would be, have you seen His glory? Have you really seen His glory? Because that is going to be the response it was of Isaiah, it was of the Christians here. It will be when we're confronted with His power and glory. And so if you claim to be in Christ, trusting in Him alone for your eternal life, and you're not living a life of repentance, it's likely you either think far too little of God or too much of yourself. You think you're way more powerful than you are, or He's way smaller than He really is. And either one is deadly. Or it could be, as Paul said in Romans, Romans 2, 4, or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you presume on those? Saying, oh, well, you know, He can handle it. I don't need to get dirty in all of this stuff. He goes on to say, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You see? You see, you can, you can either presume on His patience and kindness, or you can say, thank you, God, for your patience and kindness, and, and that causes me to want to turn all the more from my sin. John Owen in his communion with God, said this, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is not to believe that He loves you. It's the worst thing you can do to Him. If you really, I mean really, grasp, and believe that the Father loves you, it will lead you to repentance. And repentance will lead you to the Father through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. For those, Lord, who could relate more to that character in the movie, having long feared 
that our sins would return to visit us, but the cost is more than I could bear. For those who are in bondage to that, will you grant freedom in Jesus Christ? For those who are in Christ, Lord, trusting in Him alone, will you cause us and enable us and empower us to live a life of repentance? And then, Lord, will you do your work through that to advance your kingdom? We ask for this not because we deserve it, but for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.